0: Welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Very happy to be back here. I am Athena Rutherford, joined once again by a special guest here, Cora Hall of Knox News, who covers Lady Vols athletics for Knox News. Cora, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you back. Again, for all of you who are maybe new here, welcome in. This is a a specific podcast about the Lady Vols as part of the Vol Basketball Fever, uh, I guess, family, whatever you want to call it. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to subscribe to the channel while you're here. We'll have more Lady Ball stuff, you stuff know, coming, not just podcasts, but different stuff as well, hopefully here pretty soon. We're also on any, anywhere you get your podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you, you get your podcasts, we are there. So like this video, share it with your friends, share it with any of your Lady Ball fans you may know. And we also obviously do men's basketball coverage too, uh, podcasts and breakdowns and stuff there. So if you just like basketball, college basketball, uh, I think you'll like our stuff. But core, we have... You know, last time we spoke, there has only been, I think, a game since in between. I had last had you on the podcast, and that was the Lady Vols uh, very dominant 84 58 victory over Kentucky. Actually, I think it might have been uh, since I last had you on, they also played Vanderbilt, I think. Regardless, they've had two more wins. Lady Vols are, are still undefeated in SEC play, still number one in the SEC right now. Uh, they do have a very difficult, very tough matchup. This weekend against Georgia and in Athens on Sunday at two o'clock Eastern time. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, mostly, though, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the last couple games and just kind of the lay start in general. It's their best start uh, since the team last won a national championship in that 2007-2018 that 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 season. I'm not. Last time I had you on, we both confessed to the fact that we don't like to make predictions and stuff because we don't want to put that out into the world and and then we keep it blamed to be the jinxes of the whole thing. But I do just kind of want to ask your thoughts about the start because it's been now that Ray is back, like this offense to me has has kicked in early gear. I know we talked about that last time too, but it just seems like I mean she was on fire, obviously against against Kentucky, didn't miss a three, uh, was I think tied for the team lead in points in that game. But I almost wonder. And we had someone comment on our last podcast, too. You know, starting doesn't seem to be important for this team. It doesn't matter if, if they're starting or whatever. They they seem pretty selfless. I almost wonder if, with the way Ray has responded coming off the bench the last couple of games, I almost wonder if we don't see her play a, that kind of sixth, that, that sixth woman role where she just is kind of the main person off the bench and still plays 25, 30 minutes. But I almost wonder if she feels more comfortable right now with the way the season's gone for her, coming off the bench and being that that main bench person who still plays like a starter just doesn't get the quote-unquote start for the game.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know what's going through Kelly's head when it comes to starting lineups and stuff, but um, she's definitely been a spark off the bench. I think right now they're really just kind of gauging where she's at, how comfortable she is in practice and games, and and I think the two last games that she played, she really showed that you know she's she's pretty much back she's pretty much all the way back um she's playing really well she's being aggressive um we saw her going up for rebounds you know driving the lane you know old Ray Burrell stuff so um I would if I mean for Kelly it's it's you know people earn their spots so if she feels that for a certain game it's better to start Ray then she'll probably do that if she thinks it's better for her to come off the bench she'll do that I think it's We'll just have to kind of wait and see. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I would say, but I would, I would think eventually she'll probably make her way back into the starting lineup. Just because, uh, you know, for some teams you can't wait for that offensive start. Like if mm. if they need to get going offensively right away, I could see her starting Ray just because, you know, can't start slow offensively against a team where you won't catch up. Um, like South Carolina, maybe. You know, so so it's. I think it just depends on. um, You know, they're getting into the more tough stretch of their conference schedule, especially with Georgia. Um, Kentucky was kind of supposed to be a a tougher conference opponent, but um, I think overall Kentucky just didn't have the size, didn't have the depth, really. I mean, they they had a few players out, I think, from injuries, um, and it was strange because I did not expect that big of a margin of victory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the third quarter, it still felt like it was within reach, you know, like they're a good three pointing shooting teams. So they could still come back, you know, the game wasn't over. And then all of a sudden at one point in the fourth quarter, Tennessee was up by 30 and I was like, wait, what, when did this happen? I was like, Oh, okay. Um, I guess this game is over then. Uh, so it was, it was interesting. Cause yeah, they they kind of just broke it out into a thirty point lead, and I was like, I didn't really expect that, but I think it's a testament to what this offense is like with Ray Burrell.
0: Yeah, and I think that Kentucky game was interesting because you mentioned it like, I mean, they were down seventeen eleven I think after the first quarter, and then suddenly, like you said, I mean, they just piled on in the second quarter, piled on more in the third quarter. By the time we're in the fourth, it's like, oh, this game's pretty much over. Like this is they can just kind of cruise to a victory because it, it seemed like. Kentucky had Ryan Howard and sometimes Jasmine Masekiel was able to do some stuff. That was, that was about it. Like they, they didn't have a third option that was really doing a whole lot for them on offense. Uh, Even with Tamari key being out for the whole second half, um in that game I mean they couldn't get much going offensively Kentucky couldn't and actually that leads me into a question I had you know I I sent you stuff over before we did this podcast I know there's not really an update on Tamari Key but you you will be speaking with um you and the media just in general Will be speaking with Kelly Harper on Friday Uh, we're recording this Thursday evening right now um but I know I think it was they said after the game uh, correct me if I'm wrong but Kelly said after the game that Tamari's basically day-to-day and it didn't really seem like it was that too severe of an injury to Tamari. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. They said it was an ankle injury. Um, I would assume that it's not um, more of the severe of like an ankle sprain Cause they didn't say that she was going to get any like testing done on it, you know, to see if it was broken or to see if this or that. So I'm assuming it was more of a minor ankle roll or sprain or whatever specifically happened, but Um, Yeah, she said day to day, we'll probably get an update tomorrow. I assume it will probably be a game time decision. We probably won't get a definitive answer. Um, But, you know, I I, based on kind of the way Kelly was talking about it doesn't seem too super serious. So like, I wouldn't be too worried about her return. She she might not play Sunday or might just play limited minutes. But I don't really see that as an injury that's going to take her out for a while. I mean, like, every athlete rolls their ankles like constantly i think anyone who's played a sport knows that struggle
0: yeah no absolutely yeah and, and and that's very important for her to get back uh as quickly as she can because i i think it was you you and i last time had a discussion that i think she's she's the most important player maybe the team because i think ray and and Horston obviously get a lot of attention because of their offense and well, Horston does, I mean, she does everything. She can rebound she can assist, she can steal, she can block. (laughs) There's not really anything Ray, uh, Jordan Horston can't do. Um, but I think what makes the lady Vols different, what what provides them an edge and what's made them, especially such an elite defensive team this year is Tamari's post presence. And the fact that teams just cannot score in the post against them. I think, yeah, last time we had, had you on, we were talking about the, uh, Oh, what game was it? Whatever game it was, it was an, I think the Ole Miss game where they, she Tamari had multiple blocks and they just didn't have like any points in the paint. Like it's very important for her, like you said, with the Lady Balls having their really starting to get to the meat of the SEC schedule here with Georgia coming up, South Carolina coming up, UConn coming up. Like this is this is a really good time. This is a this is a really important time for Tamari to be in, even if she's not one hundred percent for this Georgia game. Like even just playing fifteen twenty minutes is, I think huge for her in this game, huge for Tennessee in this game, because they're going to need it. Because as we get to in a second, uh, Georgia's not a not an easy out this year at all.
1: Yeah, and I think even more than, like, her offensive production, which has been really consistent, is the fact that, like, when she's on the court, she's obviously 6'6". So the game plan changes offensively for the other team because you can't drive her lane and get around her because especially when they play kind of, like, their zone that's built around her, she just kind of floats in the paint and just waits for anyone who like dares to drive and just tracks them, blocked. And and we saw that with the Texas A&M game because they kept trying to drive the lane, get a layup, and she had a lot of blocks. So um, it just it changes the way that other teams have to approach Tennessee offensively. And if they don't have to compensate for that, then it makes the game different, like the whole game. Um, even though Kian Green is great. she I have thought that since the beginning of the season that she was going to be a, an impact player for them. She's got great post moves. She's really strong. She's great on defense. She's not afraid to take charges. She's a great player for them, but she's also not six six. So there's just like a, a difference you have to account for when Tamari is on the
0: court. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's not been very many six six. or or taller post players in in college basketball for on the women's side. So yeah, no, it's, she makes a big difference uh, defensively, but like, like you said, her offense has come along too. And she's been better offensively this year um, than at any point so far in her Tennessee career, which, you know, you expect progression and, and especially in year three, but I really have been, again, very impressed by the development that Kelly Harper's had with the roster and just her coaches and stuff too, of developing these players and specifically with, with Tamari and with Jordan Horst and like the, look at you where they were in their first year at at UT and where they are now. And it's like, wow, they're the talent talent was always there, but it's been molded and shaped into um, some really high end uh, production for the team this year too. And again, it's going to be very important for Sunday's game because I I look at from statistically speaking Cora about Georgia, they're on par in a lot of different categories with the Lady vols in terms of their points per game allowed in terms of points they they score per game uh, opponents field goal per- percentage and three point percentage and things like that. Like Georgia seems like they've got a pretty rugged defense and doesn't, and they don't give a lot of points. I, I just based on paper and just kind of looking at the, the schedule for the, the double dogs this past, I guess this so far in sec play and stuff. I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of points being scored in Sunday's game. I will let you take it away. Cause you've done, you know, a little bit more of a thorough scouting of Georgia than I have, but they're only, I guess they, they got two losses. They have LSU and Kentucky, are both games they lost, but they <clears throat> beat Missouri by 10, beat Alabama by four. They've, they've had some very, very close games. I think all of their SEC games, looks like, have been under double digits. Yeah, I think all of them have been under, uh, under double digits. The loss to Kentucky was by eight, lost to LSU was by six, they beat Florida by four, beat Alabama by four, and beat Missouri by 10. So I guess technically, okay, one's, one's double digit. Um, but they've had a a lot of very close games and actually they're going to be playing Mississippi state here very soon as you are recording this. So we'll, I'll be interested to see that, uh, that result when they go at Mississippi state, but the Georgia team looks like they're a very, very solid program that again, seems fairly defensive minded as well.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the, the veteran leadership of Hugh Morrison and Jenna Stady is huge for that team. You know, the team really runs through them and, you know, Sarah Ashley Barker has been really big for them too. She had that, you know, buzzer beater three pointer to send the NC State game into overtime that they won. And, and mm-hmm. for me, like that was one of the biggest wins of the co- women's college basketball season so far. You know, that was at NC State. They were number two. You know, great team. And Georgia comes in and hands them a loss at home. I mean, that's that's enormous for them, um, confidence wise, and. Um, you know, I think the difference for Tennessee will be rebounding. Like, so like you said, statistically, they are very similar, but Tennessee has, I've been looking into it. So, um, Tennessee has like one of the best, if not the best, I would, I would guess, I'm not going to go through everyone's stats, but I would guess they have the best rebounding trio in the country with, uh, Tamari Jordan, Horston, and Alexis Dye, because all of them have 140 or more rebounds this season. Wow. And both Horston and Key are in the top 50, like the NCAA Division One stats across the country. They track, like, individual and, like, kind of rank them, I guess. Um, so, like, the top 50 rebounders in the country for total rebounds um, is Jordan Horston and Tamari Key are both in there. And that's the only school besides Gardner-Webb that has two people on the list, like, in the top 50. Um, So I thought that was pretty telling. And when you (laughs) look at um, like any other team in the SEC, the only other team that has three players over 100 rebounds is LSU, and none of them are over 140. So that's like a lot, that's a lot of rebounds and it's shared. It's by committee. And, you know, the next two on Tennessee's lists are Jordan Walker and Brooklyn miles, the two shortest people on the team. Um, and they're just, they're great rebounding guards. So that that's just like a consistent threat that they always have. They're all so, you know, attuned to making sure they rebound and so committed to that. And Jenna State is the only person on Georgia's team with over a hundred rebounds. So I think that can be, you know, the difference for Tennessee is just their ability to crash the boards. Um, and the thing about if Tamari is out, um, that does open up the game. Like I was saying, you know, she's kind of like that staple in the paint where it's like, okay, you guys like are going to struggle probably to attack the paint. Whereas if she's not there, Hugh Morrison's great, great guard. She can attack the paint, whether she's going to go score and finish, whether she's going to kick it out. And so... If Tamari's not playing, then they really need to, you know, lock down that perimeter defense. Make sure that Morrison's not <laughs> attacking the lane every single possession because she'll make things happen if she's doing that.
0: Yeah, you just you mentioned a couple of, of players. There. That's something that I was looking at when I was looking at Georgia's roster. Is they have some pretty good size. Like they're not a they're not a small team. They have post presence. Jenna, you mentioned she's six four, uh, the team's leading scorer, team's leading rebounder. They also have Mallory Bates, who's 6'3". They have a, a freshman in Jillian Hollingshead, who's 6'5". So, I mean, they they have uh, a pretty good height there. And they're not, like you said, they don't have the same trio that the Lady Balls do, but they they have some pretty good rebounders. I think, yeah, uh, Jenna has seven seven 7.8 per game. Uh, Q Morrison has 4.8. You have uh, Nicholson, who has 5.4. Mallory Bates, who only plays 15 minutes a game, has four rebounds a game so in, in her 15 minutes she's grabbing four or five boards so like yeah it, it's if tamari's out that's going to be huge because georgia is not a small team they they have smaller players in the backcourt too but like they're they have a pretty good frontcourt presence especially with again uh, jenna averaging basically 17 and seven or 17 and eight this year and she has she does have uh 39 blocks and you also have mallory bates who has 25 blocks man she has 25 blocks and 15 minutes per game that's that's pretty impressive um but you know this this team it's going to be interesting again i'm intrigued to see what they do against mississippi state and that's not going to diminish if they even they lose to mississippi state and to me it's not going to diminish how big of a game this is because this is going to be i don't it's not the it's not going to be the most difficult i guess road game the lady balls have played or or will play because that'll be yukon when they do play that one although maybe south carolina i think it's an away game but this is going to be i mean it's a it's a tough road game Uh, i don't know like how big the turnouts typically are for the georgia women's basketball but i imagine it being just down in athens and it being a weekend game i imagine there's going to be quite a few of all fans that show up from that game too but it'll be from looking just very quickly uh through the schedule i think it will be the toughest road environment or the toughest road matchup the of i've had this year and then yeah again they play at hartford connecticut when they play uconn and they do play at uh, South Carolina. So those will be tough. But as of right now, this is, this is really your first true, like really, really difficult um, <clears throat> road test. Cause you hosted Stanford. You played in Blacksburg against West, against Virginia tech, which that was not easy, but you also hosted Texas. Uh, you hosted USF, you played at UCF. And that was also in the midst of a really busy schedule for lay balls. You had, you played Southern Illinois, you traveled to UCF and played them on, you played Southern Illinois Wednesday and you just lost Ray Burrell. Your second game of the regular season, you can play UCF two days later on Friday, and then that Monday you come back home and host USF, who's another you know uh, probably NCAA tournament team too. So all that to get to the point, Cora, is that like I think this is going to be a tough test no matter what happens between Georgia and Mississippi State, but I think it's vitally important that Tennessee, as you said, really crashes the boards, and I I, I think this is going to be I think this is going to be a game that could maybe be won in the I don't want to say in the perimeter because I I don't want to put that on Lady Vols. They've been able to have success offensively without having to rely on the three. But if Ray Braille and Tess Darby can do and kind of maybe not replicate exactly, because again, I don't think Ray's going to go perfect from three again, but if they can replicate to an extent what they've done the last couple games, that is that that to me is the big X factor for Lady Vols and what they were missing earlier in the year was consistent three-point shooting. If they if, if Tamari's healthy and is able to play, and even if it's not even Keane Green's the, the main post presence and you have Alexis Die who can do stuff down there too, if they're able to dish it back out and have Ray and, and Tess shoot threes and make threes, I mean, that's, that's a huge difference maker to me. And that's, that, that is reason enough to pick the lay of balls in this one.
1: Yeah. And I think both Jordan Walker and Jordan Horson are pretty consistent three point shooters as well. Even though they don't take a lot, usually, you know, if they're taking two or three a game, one, it's going to go in for sure. So, I mean, having that threat on the outside is really important, but um, I mean, I, I think, a lot of it will be kind of won and lost in points in the paint because that's something that Tennessee thrives off of. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, a lot of the offense, while well, it does run through Morrison runs through Stady at Georgia. So, you know, points in the paint are going to be huge. And I think, um, you know, Georgia has a great three point shooter and Barker. And so it, it just, I think there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, but the paint is definitely going to be a point of emphasis Um I was gonna say something and I forgot, so we can move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we can move on. If you remember, we'll, we'll obviously come back. Oh, I was to gonna it. say,
1: I was gonna say mm-hmm. um, that Tennessee has three road games in the SEC that they've won, and I think Arkansas was still a pretty tough environment, especially with That's the that game. So I think like this team is very battle tested, in my opinion. Um, so I think, and I know that people have said things about. I think it's Stegman Arena in Athens. It's like a weird environment to play in. So I guess we'll see um, how it is Sunday. I'll I'll report live from the location. But um, I think when it comes to road games, I think they're ready for it, honestly.
0: Well, if you want to follow and see where Cora is reporting live from, you can just follow her on Twitter at Cora Hall. And that's three L's at the end of Hall. Again, you all should be following her anyway if you're a Lady Ball fan. She has great coverage there for Knox News. Um, speaking of which I'm, I'm on your Twitter page right now, and it's the pinned tweet on your Twitter is a video of, uh, <laughs> of Kelly Harper talking about the post game celebrations in the locker room. And I, I, I wanted to bring it up because we've talked about it a little bit in this podcast. I think maybe you and me, and I know Maria uh, Cornelius and I did too, but I gotta say it's, they're getting more and more elaborate and they're getting funnier and funnier. but I think it's, it's not just a funny thing as as uh coach harper said she says i think those videos kind of show the reality with this team kind of show you know their personality and stuff too it's fun like that that to me it's it's one thing to i think uh coach harper said this in that really good interview that was on ncaa.com uh, it's one thing that you take you can take your craft seriously and you know be out go out there and practice all the time and work on your craft and work on yourself but you got to enjoy the game too you got to actually have fun while doing it and i think that that to me is one of the biggest differences between this team in the last few years. I know you haven't covered the lay of all the last few years core, but that to me just seems like the biggest difference over the last four or five, six years is it seems like they're having fun. And I'm curious if that comes across to you, even just without the you know, the celebration videos, but how much this team just seems like they're actually enjoying what they're doing and enjoying, you know, playing basketball.
1: Yeah. And I think that kind of comes with a team that is this close. Cause that's something that I've definitely you know been told and gotten you know uh, a vibe that they're 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 genuinely very close like and genuinely love being around each other um and I when I was talking to Ray after the Vanderbilt game I asked her because she's (laughs) I I said this without actually like realizing it but she's the longest tenured person in the program at this point because Mm, she was here before Kelly and her staff and Um, She's the only senior and all the other technical like senior grad students are transfers. Um, So she's like been here the longest. So I asked her, you know, what what's different about this team? And she was saying how like not that it wasn't before, but it's just more of a family feeling like they're just so close. And I think that's a huge part of why they're having so much fun. And it's just like allow them to really be themselves and let their personalities come through and you just have fun. Um, And I think that's when you talk about winning and winning championships, like there's a lot to be said for, you know, discipline and, and, you know, uh, hard work and all of that and everything that goes into building a championship program. But I think it's overlooked that like having fun is like definitely part of it because that was a huge part of the women's soccer team in the fall when they went and won the SEC uh, tournament championship. You know, Brian would Brian Penske, the head coach would just be like, they just have fun. They have genuinely so much fun together and they love each other. And like they came into the season with like not really high expectations. There wasn't really much expectations except for let's just play soccer. Let's have fun. And they did it. And they won the first SEC tournament since 2008. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for a team that can just have fun while they're playing.
0: That's a great point. I mean, we, we, you know, people watching this or listening to this know, like if you, if you watch Tennessee football too, like that, that was the difference I think this year and the years past was that they actually seemed like they were, they enjoyed each other and were actually liked each other, not just as people, but as teammates. And again, we're having fun playing the game. And that's huge. Like you said, you, you it's one thing to approach it like your job, because it is, especially if your your goal is to, you know, go play professionally, you, you do approach it more business-like. That's fun to see that these players are having fun. Like you said, Ray, I, I didn't realize it until you said it, Ray is the, longest tenure one she's kind of the only she's one of the few non kelly harper recruited players on this team now because you've basically almost everyone is was recruited by or brought in or you or retained when kelly harper was hired so she's one of the few that was already still like on the roster and had played at tennessee before kelly harper was hired i hadn't really thought about that but that's a that's a really good point um kind of transitioning to that it, it, talking about some of these players on the roster, I saw you and both again uh, to mention Maria Cornelius, who I've had on the show a couple of times now, and covers Lady Vols four two four seven. Um, <clears throat> talk about this new NIL deal, or not the new, but uh, I guess an expansion on the NIL deal with Orange Mountain Designs. They released jerseys for uh, Jordan Horston, Tamari Key, and actually Kelly Harper as well. So I think that's interesting. She talk about being game changer. Um, I think it is, and I, I wish I could find the graphic. I can't find it i've been looking for it on twitter i saw a graphic i think last weekend that was showing like the breakdown of the percentages of money earned and uh in the nil since through december 2021 uh college football was easily the number one like that didn't shock me but number two was women's basketball which i thought was really cool and i thought that was interesting that it was more so than the men's side and was more so than like i just thought that was cool that i think it was like a significant chunk it was like 20 percent maybe i forget what the percent was but like it was a it was a good chunk i thought that i just thought that was really cool go ahead yeah
1: i have the tweet book okay sorry. yeah you go uh, ahead it's their, it's their open doors they are like tracking like nil stuff and um highlighting stories but yeah 45.7 percent was football and 26.2 percent has been women's basketball and wow. then 18 percent men's basketball is third so yeah um and i think it helps that you know players like Paige Beckers you know signed with Gatorade that's a huge mm-hmm. chunk of that money and you know like the Cavender twins have like six deals now like and then there's like all these there's a couple it was the Cavender twins and then I think Lexi Gordon from Duke I lose her name um so, like signed with WWE to do an NIL deal so like there are some deals that kind of take up like a big chunk of that but it's really cool to see that women's basketball is you know getting a lot of getting a lot of deals through NIL
0: no absolutely and again I think it is a game changer because this was I think people have underestimated for years the kind of passion the fan bases have for like the the fan bases of women's basketball has not just collegiately but professionally like the WNBA had some really good numbers this past year too for the playoffs and for the finals and stuff too but I think I think a lot of people watching and listening to this, obviously, I mean, will know because they, they're listening to this because they're fans of the lady Vols. But like, I, I know from experience and you can see it publicly on our YouTube, but like, I know even before we did our YouTube, looking at the back end of our podcast numbers and stuff, our most, our highest performing shows and stuff and episodes so far in, in the Vol basketball fever have been the lady Vols ones. And I think that speaks volumes to the support. And I think it's, I think it's cool that the lady Vols have the orange mountain designs. I, I am curious to see, if like this year, if like Jordan Horston or Abreu or whatever, like they, they you know next next season, kind of what the NIL is going to look like for the Lady Vols Because this year, you know, it's, it was still new. It's hard. It was more difficult to get stuff for older players and kind of get stuff in for the now. That I guess. But like to me, when Lady Vols bring in like Justine Passat or another highly re- regarded freshman in you know in this coming class or next class or whatever, I think the NIL possibilities for the Lady Vols, they're going to be gigantic. I mean, I, I think they will actually be bigger than the men's team. And I think the only, only thing that will rival them and surpass them is the football team because, you know, football is king. But I think Lady Vols, with their brand recognition, that Lady Vols logo, as we talked about, um, I think last time I had you on, we talked about the NIL. It tra- it, it goes beyond Knoxville and beyond the South. It's overseas <laughs> where, where people are, are Lady Vols fans. Like, I think the NIL uh, possibilities for the Lady Vols brand is, is gigantic.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, like it's interesting to think about because like technically like, you know, like the interest in women's basketball and women's sports overall is on the rise, right? Like mm-hmm. the engagement is going up, viewership is going up, but it it's not like that interest hasn't always been there because um, I I am almost done with race the Roof about the, story, the book about, you know, Pat Summitt's 97-98 undefeated championship season, their third championship in a row. Um, and there was a part where she talked about, I literally just read this today, she was saying they were averaging like over 14,000 um, people in attendance, which was mo- more than like six of the NBA teams at that time or something. And so, if you think about that season, they got so much media attention, so much coverage, so much promotion, because they were so good and they had that talent and the interest was there, you know? So like, for me, it's like, the interest has always been there, right? It's just kind Mm -hmm. of like how it's marketed, how it's invested in. And obviously it hasn't always been since the last 20 years. Um, But I think anyone who like, doesn't think that the interest hasn't always been there like it's wrong it's very wrong
0: <laughs> i absolutely agree with it and as you're talking about that i'm, I'm pouring through the uh lay all's media guide because i want to pull up the numbers because you're right like I, I know from growing up in the you know when pat summit was coach, like the there'd be times the women's the Lady of all's would would attract more fans than the men's team because you know look back in the alan houston and, and Buzz Peterson era, like there were there were times that the joke was always having the the in the rafters having the black curtains up in the top part of of Thompson bowling because the one sat up there they couldn't sell enough tickets to fill up the the top parts up there, which now is unfathomable. But like, they've always, there were times where they would absolutely draw in more fans. Uh, I wouldn't know about per game, but definitely in certain games, drawing more fans than the men's team did. And I, I. I gonna let you talk for a second longer while i'm looking through the media guide here but I, I i think you're right like the the support's been there and like you said it's growing like i myself like i've always been a Lady of all but like my my support of women athletics has grown a lot too like i've gotten into uh college gymnastics really big time in the last you know three or four years and we my wife and i'll watch it every friday night now that when that the sec is going like we've started watching last couple of years we've started watching three years i guess really like almost every friday night watching the friday night heights of <laughs> on sec network and where we can get it what's now it's on ESPN. we had the first one ever on abc the other day and that was a that was a close meet too but I, I think it's just really cool because it's opening up some brand new opportunities like i said that that has always been there the marketing just hasn't been there and now we're actually seeing espn pay more attention to women's basketball and pay more attention to just women's sports in general and not just them, but I'm using them as an example because they're, you know, probably the biggest entity right now uh, in sports media. But like we're, we're seeing people pay attention to it more finally in, in media coverage and marketing. Everyone's like, yeah, the support's always been there. Like why have you been doing this in the first place? And that, that's where the whole, you know, to unravel even further, that's where the whole conversation about like the equal pay and stuff comes from. It's not because, the sport is less or that they, you know, or whatever, it, it don't bring enough revenue in because the marketing hasn't been there and they haven't had the light shined on them like the men's teams have in the past. Like, that's a big reason why. So, sorry, I know I just kind of rambled, but like you can you can add wherever you want to there, core, I'm, I'm going to try to find these attendance numbers if I can. I, I know they're in here somewhere in this media guide.
1: Yeah, and I think the cool thing about the jerseys the is that, you know, I think there's probably a lot of hoops to kind of jump through to sell the actual, like, jerseys um so for now like that's a great replacement you know fans will buy them it's great to have something with the players names across the back um I, I'm assuming those Kelly Harper ones will go just as often as the other two um because it's so hard to find women's basketball jerseys Yep, like not the pro level like Candace Parker could not even get uh there's no jerseys for her. There's no jerseys for Kalia Copper. Um, and she's the MVP of the finals. So, like, how how is this possible? You know, there's so much money that got left on the table after this guy won the WMBA finals of people who would have bought jerseys. Like, absolutely. Cause the the jerseys in the WNBA last year were sick. Like yeah, yeah, they were. the alternates, the the ones with the the black Chicago sky ones with like the pinstripes were sweet. And I would I have I would have bought a Candice Parker jersey if we could find them. Um, so, I, you know, I, Haley Van Lith at uh, Louisville has her jersey available for sale now. So, hopefully, that kind of kickstarts it and they can start selling jerseys because I know people want them to bring back like the older Lady Vols jerseys like Candice Parker, like, you know, Kelly Jolly, like those jerseys, people want them. So, I think once it, they kind of figure out, what kind of hoops to jump through to get those in production. Like, Hopefully we'll see them.
0: That'd be, that would be really cool. And I, I think it'd be cool too, um like you said, bring back some of the older players. It'd like, like, be cool to have like an Alexis Hornbuckle or a, a Shauna Zolman. Or like, yeah, I guess it just be cool to have some of those players like that from the past. I know a lot of fans who've you know been fondly to Vols for decades would love to have something like that. I got the numbers and I think this is, it's just, it's just so cool because I, the, the previous years before COVID year, like lady Vols, were in the nines, eight thousands and 8,000s in average attendance, which still isn't bad. But looking back, even, even up until like from the nineties through the mid to late two thousands, lady Vols didn't average under basically like 12,000 fans per game in, in the home game. And they had in the 98, 99 season, they had, they averaged 16,500 per game 15,000, 15,500. And you go up again into the 05, 06, they averaged almost 15,500. And you go for the last time they won the title when Candace Parker was playing in 07, 08, they averaged just under 16,000 per game. So, I mean, again, the Lady Vols brought in all kinds of fans, all the huge numbers of fans uh, in, in years past. And I, I, that's why I genuinely hope that, um, well, for one, I just, like we're different lay balls and like this program. But like, I, I genuinely hope that Kelly Harper and the staff can get lady balls back to relevance or they are relevant, I guess, but you'll get it back to the Heights that they once were because seeing Thompson bowling arena full of lay ball fans is really cool. And it's something else. Like I, I, I hope Corey, you get to experience that however long you're here to cover the lay balls. I hope you get to experience it, whether it's this year or next year, whenever I hope you get to experience a 17, 18, 19, thousand, uh, crowd fan, a number of fans there in the stadium to watch a LA Lady ball All game because that is a great environment. I can't remember, were you at the uh, Texas game this year?
1: Yeah, I've been at all the home games. Yeah, so the Texas game to, to, to me
0: see- watching on TV was the closest I've seen Thompson Bowling look like the Pat Summit years in a, in a long time. That was that environment near the end of that game when it was really close and really competitive. That crowd was again, and that wasn't even a, as big of a crowd as it nearly could have been or really should have been for that game, but that was as close to the the Pat summit era as I've seen Thompson bowling in a while. And again, that was a big reason I, or part of the reason why I think lay won that game was because of the crowd in that game.
1: Yeah. You would definitely like physically feel the crowd, um, <laughs> especially in that fourth quarter and overtime. Mm. So it was a really great environment. Um, Personally, it made me a lot more stressed out when I was writing, but <laughs> it was kind of nice because if you look down for a second and you're like writing, all of a sudden you hear the crowd go crazy, you whip your head back up and you're like, oh, okay. They're like, mm, something's happening. So it's it's definitely more like it gets my heart racing and I'm like writing and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, it's it was, I even thought that was a, a great environment and that was what, there's probably 10,000, 11,000 there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know vividly. I can think back to times and my media days covering uh, basketball and Thompson Bowling. Like you said, you're, you're writing something, and all of a sudden you just like there's an eruption, or you're just sitting there watching because you don't want to miss an action. You can literally feel like the noise on you, and it's buzzing in your head. And you're just like you said you're you're not even like you're not being a fan that moment and you're not on the court, but your heart's racing too, just because of all the overstimulation of, <laughs> of all the crowd noise and everything going on around you. Uh, well, well, Cora, again, I want you to, before we get you off here, I want you to plug anything you have on Knox news for the playoffs. Again, it's been a kind of light week this week because they're basically kind of on their bye week uh, which has been worked out for Tennessee with tomorrow. Key's injury. But so I know there's probably not as much this week, but I know you will definitely have stuff coming, you know, after the Georgia game and moving forward for sec play. So if you have anything you want to plug specifically on Docs news, currently let us know if you have anything coming down the pipe that you want to uh, to let let them know what's, what's coming down.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually have a story tomorrow. That's, I think it's going to run in the morning, um, about Brooklyn miles. So keep an eye out for that. It's really, it was a really fun story to write because, um, I guess I talked to her dad who was her personal trainer her whole life. And, you know, they have a really special relationship. So, it was really awesome to kind of hear about that and how that kind of helped her in her trans- transition to Tennessee because like, she came in, made immediate impacts. Right. So that's going tomorrow. Be on the lookout for that. So running Friday morning. Um, and I'll a scouting a report out for Georgia and then I'll be on the road um, in Athens. So bringing you all the live updates.
0: Awesome. Well, again, like, like I said earlier, please follow her on twitter i imagine a lot of you watching and listening to this already are but if you aren't it's at cora hall I and mean, that's with three l's for the the hall there but yeah i, I that i can't wait for this game sunday I, i'll be out of town because i'll be on vacation but i'll still try to watch it as much as i can or keep up with it online um as much as i can and you mentioned Brooklyn miles in that story that reminded me we had a listener um her name is connie i think her and actually a couple of people who've who said up to me on twitter when i was talking about on the men's team, the Ziegler, and they I thought they made an apt comparison. They said, you know, they actually, he reminds me of Brooklyn Miles and vice versa, just the way they're both they're smaller players, very feisty, very tough on defense, and just the way they play. I thought those are pretty apt comparisons. I feel like they're both, again, small guards uh, for the respective sport, but they have incredible motors. And I, I think Brooklyn Miles is going to be, uh, as I said for the men's team, the Ziegler is going to be a fan favorite for the next few years. I think Brooklyn Miles will develop into – a fan favorite for Lady Balls and Vol fans because I love her attitude. I'm I'm very I'm very interested to read that piece when it comes out that you've written.
1: Yeah, I think she already is a fan favorite from oh, yeah. Twitter. Um those 10 second violations, those videos have like so many views and people loved it. Um and she's also great with Twitter. She retweets a lot. She, you know, likes fans' posts and so like I think she's already kind of won everyone over um and she's smart for that.
0: Very smart for that. Well, again, Cora, thank you so much for coming on here and thank you all of you who have watched slash listened to this episode of Lady of All Basketball Fever podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please do like this video, share it with your, your friends, your family, your Lady of All fans you know in your life. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify or wherever. You can also follow us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever and we're on Facebook at Vol Basketball Fever. So give us a like, go give us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. And again, go follow Cora at Cora Hall with three L's. Signing off for Cora, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast.